I would have retired from pastoral ministry if the door was open for me to do that. Not out of discouragement, but just out of knowing that the time is short. And uh, babysitting Christians who don't want to grow up is not fulfilling. Fivefold ministry is to cause us to grow up into Him who is the head to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus. So I find no fulfillment. I wasn't called to babysit Christians who refused to grow up. I was called to feed the flock of God so they can grow. And you're called to desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. I'm called to feed. You're called to eat and to drink. Amen. Everybody that comes to church is not hungry for righteousness. How do you know? Because if they were hungry, they would be filled. When that that brings that into our life comes forth, the Word of God is quick and powerful, and it's mighty. It's like seed. When it gets in a good ground heart, it brings forth fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. So the five-fold ministry is to accomplish that single highest purpose of God. I want to define this the best I can today uh, before we get into some ex- really areas that that I don't know if you want to follow me all the way in or not, but we got to go forward. We, there's no going back when you start with God. He doesn't want you to lose ground. He doesn't want you to take one step forward and two steps back. And when I encounter folks and and you're not them or you wouldn't be here today. If you wasn't hungry, you wouldn't be here for the Word of God. Amen? So we've got a whole lot of people obviously are not hungry. They may be in church somewhere, but whether they are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, that's a vast difference. And the Word of God is given, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And this is what is so powerful and profound to me. It's, it's God-breathed in the Greek. It's got life in it. God fashioned man from the clay. Adam means red clay. and doesn't mean he's from Georgia. Amen? Red clay made him out of the clay, the dust of the earth. And, and he was nothing but that form until God did something. The Bible said that God breathed on him and made him a living soul. Isn't it amazing that on the day of Pentecost, there was a sound from heaven and it sounded like a mighty rushing wind, but it was God breathing on that 120, breathing spiritual life into them. And the Holy Ghost was given. Can you say, man, 
Hallelujah. And God has breathed his word, breathed on his word. That's why it's not like any word anywhere in any book in all of the world. All scripture, all of it is given by inspiration of God. Everybody say God breathed. Holy men wrote when they were moved on, but the word itself is God's very life-giving breath is in it. And that's why if it gets in a good ground heart, it, the Word, brings forth fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold. And Jesus said, every branch in me that beareth not fruit in John 15, he cuts it off. Nothing but to be gathered and burned. You can't be a Christian and not be fruitful. Someone said, are you judging me? And we used to have that pat answer. No, I'm just a fruit inspector. We've got a doctrine today that says you can be a Christian with no fruit. Nothing that indicates a change has occurred. That's why Chuck Swindoll, with all of his books that are out there and his radio broadcasts and speaking at conferences and has this huge successful church and ministry, he laments He said, I am convinced that many people in my congregation are not ready to meet Jesus. They're not ready for the coming of the Lord. They're not ready to die and stand before the Lord. And then he qualified what he was saying. That's an amazing thing for a pastor to say about his congregation. And he said, I'm convinced many people in my congregation are not ready to meet Jesus should he come and not ready to die and stand in the presence of God. And then he qualified his statement by saying, because there is no change in their life, no change in their values. They're living the same sinful, sin-filled life that they lived before they claimed salvation. And I'm going to tell you what the devil has done. The Bible said while the, while, the, uh, while the farmer slept, the enemy came in by night and he planted tares among the wheat. And they grew up together. And the thing about tares and wheat, it looks like wheat except there's no kernel in it. But it looks like wheat. And only God can truly determine the tare from the wheat. But the fact that tares are planted among the wheat is evident because there are people with no fruit that claim salvation, that are never convicted, that go to church somewhere and many times don't miss a Sunday, that give to the building program. But they're not ready to meet the Lord. What's going to happen in the end of that? The Bible said don't try to pull up the tares. Don't try to pull them up. Don't just, you know, because you'll pull up the wheat too. If I preach every Sunday and teach every Sunday about the sinfulness of of the hypocrite, then after a while you won't get any faith and you won't grow spiritually and, and and you may like that kind of preaching, but you can't stay on that. You'll pull up wheat. Leave them alone. One day, angels are going to come, sent by God, who knows the heart 
Man looks at what? The outward appearance. God always looks deeper. God looks at the heart. And one day, angels will come. Let them alone until the time of the end. Angels will come and separate the tares from the wheat. And there will be many. And evidently, they had to be tares. Because many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. And I will say unto them, Depart from me, you that what? Work iniquity. See, the change has to occur. And it doesn't mean sinless perfection. But it means that you have been translated. If you become a Christian, you have to choose to let Satan have influence over you. Because he has no authority to have further influence over you. You have to give ground to him because he has no authority to take it. The moment you get saved, the Bible said you have been translated out of the powers of darkness, that prison can no longer hold you. And you have not just translated out of the powers of darkness, but you've been translated into the kingdom of God. I don't want to mistranslate kingdom here. It means now Satan is not your daddy anymore. He's not your father anymore. He's not your master anymore. Out of the kingdom of darkness where he reigned over you. And you know what the Bible said before we were saved? You are of your father, the devil. His works you will do. He has the rule. He has the reign in your life. The Bible said he is that spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You know, the Bible tells us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And some people don't give a hooty hoot. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's a command. If you're under Christ's lordship, you take his word as his command. Because his word is a command. It's not just having the commandment. It's what he says, whatever he says unto you, do it. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Whatever he says to you, do it. Can you say amen? You know what marks the life of a Christian is obedience. You will struggle with obedience. Because God commands you to forgive your enemy. He commands it. When you stand praying, if you have ought against any, forgive. Because if you don't forgive them, I won't forgive you. No wonder people who don't take obedience seriously get into such serious trouble with God. And it looks like on many occasions that faith doesn't work. And on other occasions that God must be unfaithful. And it comes right down to disobedience. Somewhere there's something that God said, if you don't do this, I'm not going to do that. And we didn't do this. And he can't do that or he'd violate the word that we're claiming. He doesn't just watch over the good parts to perform it. 
watches over all of it to perform it. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth. That shall he also reap. It's God's spiritual law. It's God's word. He watches over it to perform it. I have high expectations of blessing in my life. Oh, one of the reasons I sowed mercy to a, an old guy. He had a nice pickup truck. If you see the back of my van, it, he hit me hard. I, I, I should have had his insurance pay for my van repair. But evidently this old guy, and when I say old guy, I use the term very mercifully. <laughs> no offense. Anyway, this old guy, that's what they look at us now. I'm, I'm going on 72, and so I'm right behind you. And Hobbs is not here to pick on, so we pick on him anyway. He's moving, getting out of his one place into the other place, and, and uh, so Brother Hobbs is moving. So he hit me when I stopped, and cars in front of me stopped. He didn't stop, and he hit me. I got out and looked at and and he, he did some damage. And I figure it's not major damage. It's an old van. I can still open and close the back doors not very easily. And he was weeping. He evidently is about to lose his license and not even be able to drive. If the accident is reported, that's probably going to do it for his driving days. And he's crying, and he's saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and he said, I'll, I'll, I'll fix it. I'll see that it's fixed. And there was an occasion for mercy. I had every right to have him fix it or call the police and have his insurance company fix it. But it's an old van, and I can live with it like it is. It's just an old van. It doesn't look like it's worth stealing like it used to look. The old Astro van has got, it's banged up in the back end, and one day, when I have spare money, ha, 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 I'll get it fixed. I told my wife, someday when we get a little ahead, have you ever wanted to do something when you get a little ahead? Well, it's been about two years now, and I haven't got that much ahead yet. It's not that much, but you know what ahead means. <laughs> anyway, I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go. Amen. That's right, I owe, I owe. But there was an occasion to show mercy. And I decided I don't want to see him lose his license over this old van. I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Sir, it's okay. And I drove away. My van never looked the same. It wasn't as nice as it used to be. But I showed mercy. I'm not telling you you need to do this. You let the Lord lead you. I really felt God wanting me to sow mercy that day. Blessed are the merciful. There's that law. For they shall obtain mercy. So I have a high expectation of God's mercies in my life. And that's not the only occasion. 
There are people I could have humiliated before this congregation. But I didn't. I showed mercy. There are people I could have stood up and refuted and rebuked and been right. But I chose to hold my peace and show mercy. I sowed mercy so I know mercy is available to me. And I need some mercy in my account. How many need some mercy in your account? Because mercy produces grace we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses our infirmities our needs but he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin so come boldly before the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of any need It is mercy that allows for grace. Grace doesn't produce mercy. Mercy produces grace. And the Bible said, blessed are the merciful for what? They shall obtain mercy. I could nail this person, but I didn't. I was merciful. Now, mercy is laid up to my account. And I wish I could tell you that I'll never need it. Because I will never do anything that requires God to be merciful to me in attitude or action. I need mercy. That was the hope of Israel when it looked like all was lost, when they had sinned and sinned and sinned and not listened to Jeremiah until he wept over them, until he said, my tears caused my bed to swim Yes, he was exaggerating. He was wanting to use that metaphor to to convey a message. My heart has been broken so many times. My tears have, have wet my bed until it seems like it would rise up like a flood and cause my bed to swim. Because he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. Judgment is going to come. Too many preachers are preaching as if there's no judgment to come here or there. But there is. And Lamentations is a preacher who preached, brought the Word of God, was obedient, and the people rejected the Word of God. And I talked about the callousing of the heart. I've seen that over the years. Forty-five years as a pastor, I've watched hearts callous. Conviction will come and no one acted. Jesus put it this way, we've piped to you, you haven't danced. We've mourned to you, you haven't cried. And I want to explain that to you. He used that metaphor because there was a children's game that they played. They saw how people wept at a funeral. They would even hire professional mourners who came and wept to help share their pain. And they would, they would act like these adults at a funeral, and they would, they would mourn, and everybody would boo-hoo, boo-hoo. They would respond to the person who started the game. They would dance. They would see people at a wedding. The pipes are playing and people are dancing. And someone would come and play some little wooden flute. And all the rest of the kids would dance like they saw the adults do. There was a response to the person who started the game. Jesus said, we've piped to you. You haven't danced. We've mourned to you. You haven't cried. They got it. 
You came with a message, but there was no response. You came with a, with a message that was designed to convict and, con- and so you could save. But no one listened. They turned away. Amen. Oh, Jerusalem. He felt it. Jesus felt it because he knew what was coming. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and stone them that are sent unto you. How many times would I have taken you under my wing like a mother hen does her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. He stood at the temple. They couldn't believe what he was telling them. They felt so secure in their sin. Unconvicted and unconvinced of judgment. There shall not be one stone left here upon another. They couldn't fathom the kind of defeat and judgment that was pending. When Rome came in, when the temple was desecrated, when they crucified Christians, and they crucified non-Christians when they took over. How many times could this judgment be averted? You wouldn't let me. The disciples got so irritated with that because he went and preached in different cities and, and there was no response. And they said, well, if they are going to reject mercy, if they don't want it, then let judgment come right now on them. That's what they deserve. Call fire down out of heaven right now and do what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus says you don't know what spirit you're of. God is long-suffering, not willing that any perish, but never mistake long-suffering for permissiveness. Never mistake, I've told people this in my own personal walk in life, never mistake kindness for weakness. I try to be kind to everyone. But I'm not going to allow somebody to hurt any of you. Amen? Someone comes through that door and won't do harm to somebody in here. They're going to have to go through me and Jesus to do it. I'm going to ask Jesus to help me defend you. I will defend you. And I don't just defend you from somebody with a gun wanting to do some damage or something. I want to defend you against the enemy of your soul. I don't want to see the devil get an inroad into anybody's life in this room. I care for your soul. That's why I preach some stuff. Have you ever heard a doctor tell you this? This may sting a little bit. Yeah. Why don't he just be honest and say, this is going to hurt a lot. (laughs) Amen. There are sermons I'm not going to tell you. It's going to sting your flesh a little bit. There are sermons you're going to hear, and here it's going to hurt a lot. But if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross, i.e., in effect, crucify the flesh and the lust thereof. And if there's a sermon that hurts a lot because it's, pinpointing an area in our life that we are being challenged by the Holy Spirit to deal with, that's a God thing and that's a good thing because it's helping you to be in a posture to follow Him. 
And he that followeth me, Satan's domain, is darkness. He that followeth me shall what? Shall not walk in darkness. For if you walk in the light as he is in the light, in that absolute pure truth, powerful truth, hallelujah, amen. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus has a continual cleansing effect in your life and in mine. Hallelujah. You walk in truth, the word of God has a cleansing effect in your life. Now you are clean, John 15, through the word that I have spoken unto you. Christ loved the church, still does, gave himself for it that he might present it unto himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it might be holy. And he loved it and cleansed it to present himself in that condition by the washing of water by the word. Some people go to church and say, we had such a, and I understand I'm Pentecostal. I get it. There are services when God is going to move. Preacher's not going to get a preach. I, I heard a preacher tell me one time, he said, he said, I had a message. It was burning in my heart. I went into church. The choir got singing. And they sang so under the anointing till you could feel the glory of God coming down in that service. And those people got to shouting and praising God. And he said, it, and the, the, he said it, just, it just went on. And they sung another song. And they sung another song. And they sung another song. And he said, I looked at my watch. And I thought, if they don't hurry up, I'm not going to get to have much time to preach. He said, I even told the Lord, Lord, if they just keep praising you, I'm not going to have much time to preach. And he said, the Lord spoke back to me and said, son, you're not going to get to preach at all today. I have ordained they just praise me in this service. Well, you can, God will do that in a service. And he has before. And Pentecostals love it. And we go home and say, it was such a good service, the preacher didn't even get to preach. Let me give you some scripture about that in the Old Covenant. When the glory of God came in the temple, the priest could not minister by reason of the glory. When the glory falls, you might as well just, God has taken over. And we give place to the Holy Spirit so he can. But that is no substitute for the Word of God, you don't grow on glory. You don't grow through glory. You don't grow through manifestations of the presence of God. You don't grow through the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit. There is no growth hormone in the gifts of the Spirit. You don't grow. That's why Paul went down to a church with all the gifts in operation and people that haven't grown an inch spiritually. And it was Pentecostal chaos. A lost man come in and they were so involved in edifying themselves, he couldn't hear the gospel. One would stand to prophesy and another would stand up and interrupt the one that was prophesying. He said, take turns, that's primary. You're supposed to learn that in the first grade. My mother used to laugh at my grandson and my granddaughter. <laughs> they both wanted to play the character in the video game. 
And so my grandson's got it, and he's playing it. And my granddaughter says, let me have a turn. Let me have a turn. Let me have a turn. And she says, finally, when can I have a turn? And he said, when I'm dead. And he didn't mean, when, but my mother didn't know the video game lingo. It meant when the character in the video game that he was playing died, then she could play her character. But she was just laughing. When I'm dead, you can have a turn. Amen. In other words, you ain't going to get no turn as long as I'm alive and got this controller in my hand. Paul went down to a Pentecostal church full of the Holy Ghost and power with baby Christians that never grew, that would rather shout than go to a Bible study. That would rather be prophesied over. You don't even grow through that. That has nothing. There's no growth hormone in the gift of prophecy. There's no growth hormone in the gift of interpretation of tongues. The only thing that has a growth hormone spiritually in it is the word of the living God. Can you say man? It's full of growth hormones. Hallelujah. People, people that are underdeveloped are given growth hormones so they can grow. If they catch you young enough, they can help you to grow to your full extent instead of staying a midget or a dwarf in many occasions. Desire another wham-bang service so you can shout and have a good time. Desire the glory to just fall and everybody just have a shouting good time. Desire, I want the presence of God. I desire the presence of God. But there's no growth hormone. There's no growth spiritually in you or me experiencing His presence. Desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. Because it's like seed. It's got God's life in it. It's God-breathed. Someone said they found 2,000-year-old corn that was buried with a Pharaoh. And they were wondering, is there still life in that seed? Sealed and kept for 2,000 years. I don't know how that came out. But I know one thing. There, there's people wanting to eat some cheese. That's how old? Did you see that? Oh, Lord in heaven. They just, I don't know. People are crazy. Thank God that he loves us. Amen. If the seed gets into good brown, and that's why Satan fears it so much. He knows if we get hungry for that, that will bring growth. We will grow. And we will grow up into him who is the head to the fullness of the measure. You will never arrive, but you will never stop growing. And as long as you are growing, you will bring forth more fruit. He said, I've spoken these things unto you. I've ordained you, John 15, that you go forth and bring forth. Everybody say, go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit might remain. I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a fragrance. I want to leave something that shows that Robert A. Venable, not the pastor, not the preacher, but the Christian, the follower of Jesus, has passed through this world and has interacted with other people who have sensed him in me. 
Hallelujah. And that old man that hit me sent something more than just some guy that's got an old van and don't care because it might be an old van, but it's my old van. And it cost me 6000 bucks on a credit card with high interest. So you know it cost me way more for that old van, but it's been a good old van, and God has blessed me. And you know what's beyond the physical part of that is that mercy is laid up for me because I've sown it, and I, I, I pray I don't have to use it all up, that there's always, and I'm going to keep sowing mercy. Amen. There's times when I, I, I think it's time to get the cop out, get the insurance company, let the chips fall, be in the right, and know you're right. But there's a time just to walk away and say, you know, I'm going to be merciful today. I'm going to let Jesus. What would Jesus do? What would he do? Well, what did he do? Read the book. What did he do with the woman caught in the act of adultery? That they were ready to kill by a terrible way of execution. You know the story how he said, let him that's without sin. If you're going to judge this woman, take judgment into your hands. You can judge the right and wrong, but you can't throw that rock. We've got people who don't think you can't even judge right and wrong. She was wrong. She was dead wrong. He didn't come to smooth that over, cover that up. He came to show mercy. Mercy is not for the deserving. Mercy is for people who don't deserve it. Who's, he who's without sin. And by the way, just so they would know that he knew everything about them even the secret sins of their life. And they were pretty self-righteous and sanctimonious if they felt like I can, th- I can kill her and, and, and be in good conscience when I do it. I'm so self-righteous. He wrote on the ground. It doesn't tell what he wrote, but most scholars believe and I believe that he wrote their secret sins. And they knew that he knew. And they knew that if they held that stone to throw that he was going to expose them publicly. Because if you're going to hold on to that rock, you're declaring I'm without sin. And I just wrote your sin on the ground. And I'm getting ready to let everybody look at it. Because under your sin, I'm going to put your name. Amen. And when you put a name under the sin and your name is there with a rock in his hand... You ever played hot potato? It was before video games. You ain't never played no hot potato? You have? You poor old things. I thought I was the poorest guy in the room. We used to take potatoes, go home and get potatoes, build a bonfire, you know. And and before you build it high, put the potatoes underneath. And while y'all are sitting around singing whatever, you know, and the fire is blazing, them taters are cooking fire goes down you get the potatoes out from underneath the bonfire and they're cooked they're baked they're ready for eating but they're hot too hot to handle amen too hot to handle so you stand in a circle and you throw that hot potato to somebody they throw it to somebody they throw it and they throw it and it keeps going round and round because you can't hold on to the hot potato they dropped those rocks like hot potatoes And then she looked at Jesus because she knew they can't condemn me. 
But there's someone standing here that is holy enough to condemn me. And he's looking right in my eyes. And I have no defense. I'm guilty. And those kind of people get mercy. Those kind of people get mercy. Those kind of people. See, you go to the throne of God to obtain what? Mercy and then grace to help in the time of any need. Somebody say mercy precedes grace. We talk about grace. We got grace. We got grace. We got grace. And we're not showing mercy. He says you can't have grace until you show mercy. When you stand praying, if you have ought against any, mercy. So that you can have grace to have an answer, you have to show mercy in forgiveness. Do they, do they deserve it? No. Amen. Do you have the right to not forgive them, having received forgiveness from Christ? No, you do not. When you stand praying, most people that pray, the issue of their prayer primarily is faith. I'm going to believe Him, and He's going to grant what I'm believing Him for without dealing with the issues of the heart. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. If you don't forgive, when you stand praying, if you have ought against anybody, when you stand praying, forget about faith initially. It comes into play after the matter of the heart is settled. That's why too many people that don't want to repent of wrong things in the heart go to a, a, a prosperity meeting or a, a hyper-faith meeting and they just want to know how to claim the promises and stand on the Word, but they won't, don't know how to apply the Word personally and obey it in their life. And then when their faith doesn't bring the answer, they want to blame God for unfaithfulness. When they needed to get in an altar and they need to get up with a clean heart. When you stand praying. Don't you love this scripture? I love it. It says, it says, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing there's faith, you shall receive. That faith is there for you to receive the answer and to receive it when you pray. Okay, that's wonderful. That is true. But you've got to balance that because when you stand praying in faith, if you have ought, because the only way you can receive an answer is because of the grace of God. You come before the throne of what? Just power? Just power? No, you come before oh, all the power is there. But it's grace that allows it to flow to you. And the only way grace allows it to flow to you is because mercy is received from God. Blind Bartimaeus, what was his cry to Jesus? What stopped Christ in his tracks? Son of David! He can't see. He hears this entourage. He hears about a healer. He hears about a Savior. He hears about the mighty God incarnate. And, and he says, there's hope for my blindness if Jesus is passing by. And, and he, 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 without sight, the other senses get highly tuned. And his hearing was one of those, and he could hear the, the crescendo of the crowd coming, all of these people and all of this, this noise. And when it got right in front of him, 
Son of David, have mercy. Have what? Mercy on me. And he said it loud. And the disciples with all this other stuff going on said, just be quiet, let him alone, just leave us alone. Everybody's pushing and shoving and hollering for something. And he hollers all the louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped in his tracks. And it's not just because he hollered twice and louder the second time. It's because he appealed to what precedes grace and help. Son of David, have mercy on me. I, I worked out at a gym. I always have a disclaimer. Not now. Don't look at me now. That was then. This is now. I know you're going to pat it, so I patted it for you. Amen. <laughs> I went to make a Sunday morning devotional. We went down to WTVT. That time it was Channel 13. And we had our church service live. And uh, they said, now we want you to make five morning devotionals. When we come on the air, have the national anthem, then you come on and have a five-minute morning devotional. Well, it's harder to minister for five minutes than it is for an hour and 15 minutes. Because the anointing comes and you flow with the Holy Ghost. But when a camera comes on and they point at you and you're supposed to just go. And then right in the middle of going, they point at you again. You're supposed to just stop. So I had to make five, five-minute broadcasts. I said, Lord, I didn't know where to go. I had a bunch of notes and I brought a satchel with all those notes in it that I had made prayerfully for sermons. And I walked into that studio to make the five broadcast. With this satchel full, <laughs> full of notes. <laughs> and the floor director, he said, are you going to preach all of that? <laughs> and I said, well, I'd like to. He said, well, you're not going to get to, preacher. <laughs> and there was one scripture in the Old Testament. And it's reiterated in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it's quoted in the Old Testament where it says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, the mighty man in his strength. Amen, or the rich man in his riches. But he that glorieth, let him glory in this. He that boasteth, here's an okay area to boast in without being proud. Let him boast in this, that he knows and understands me, saith God, that I am the Lord that executes judgment and mercy and righteousness in all of the earth and justice. For in these things I delight. And one of those things was mercy. God delights in mercy. I put two ways before you. He didn't, he didn't have to give them an opportunity to repent. But he did. Because he's merciful. He's merciful. But it's not that he covers over. He requires then that we be merciful. Spiritual law, you sow, you reap what you sow. God is never mocked. There's no getting around it. There's no circumventing it. There's no building your faith without dealing with the issues of the heart. Man looks on the outward. God said, it don't impress me at all. I look inside the inner regions of the heart. 
So I spent five days really zoning in, not just on the righteousness and the justice, but on the mercy of God. I went back to the gym on a Monday, and I was coming on at daylight, and I didn't think anybody would be watching, but one of the men in the gym said, and this was at the end of that week, actually. It was on a Friday. He said, he said, I listened to everyone, said, I, I, don't, I don't turn on the TV that early. I'm making coffee. When I get my coffee made, I turn it on TV. But I saw you on there. And I said, I go to the gym with him. I told my wife, I go to the gym with him. And I listened. And he said, I was interested. See, we're talking about knowing God. Not just about Him or vague, but knowing His character, His person. He said, I listened to all five of those morning devotionals. And I thought, well, God must have wanted you to hear it. Amen. And by the way, once I set my satchel down, the Holy Ghost had to lean on the Holy Ghost. He gave me the message. Gave me what to say and how to say it. But on the Monday after that broadcast, one of my best friends from high school that I hadn't seen in decades called me on the phone and said, I saw you on television. I'm in University Community Hospital. I'm getting ready to go to surgery, and it's a touch-and-go surgery. And when I saw you, because they knew I had become a minister, I told them at my 50th high school reunion, I said, you know God has a sense of humor. He really does. Because he chose me to preach the gospel. Out of all those people in our high school class, God picked the bad boy. <laughs> and after I got through, a lady came up to me and said, you sure were a bad boy, but I'm glad he chose you and saved you. Amen. I became a trophy to those people because I was the troublemaker in the classroom. I got the whippings. I know you did. That's no surprise. <laughs> Hallelujah. That was Marilyn saying me. I was. <laughs> we love you, Marilyn. God bless your heart. Did you get any whippings? You did? You were that bad? I'm glad God saved you. I'm glad God saved me. Praise God. But Chester Faulkner was my one of my closest friends. And he said, I saw you on TV. And I, he thought maybe... Maybe the Lord was trying to tell him that he needed to get right with God since he could possibly be facing eternity. He told me about the surgery situation, and I said, Chester, it's no accident you saw me. I said, God is speaking to you. Said, Why would you get a nurse to help you find my number? Some of my own church people have trouble getting it because we had to change it because of people threatening our life and cursing us and talking nasty and filthy to my wife and my children. Uh, he, said, he said, I had to get in touch with you. And I knew that was God calling him. I said, Chester, I'm going to pray that you have a successful surgery but I said, whether you do or not, one day we're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to have to leave this old body. Would you like to know where you're going when that day does occur? Would you like to accept Christ as your Savior? Would you pray right now to repent of your sin and receive him as your Savior? And he and I prayed the sinner's prayer. And God set it up. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he came to know Christ as his Savior. And I lost touch with him and didn't see him 
but at our 50th, 50th high school reunion, almost four years ago now, a little over four years ago, they asked me, said, would you pray to open before we eat and everything? Gave me the mic, called me up on the platform, said, would you pray and would you do one other thing? Would you read the obituary of classmates who are no longer with us? And I started down the list, and I saw Chester Faulkner, one of my best friends. And I thought, Lord, I want to thank you. He's not here in this world anymore. But if he kept the faith, he's with you. I'm glad for that five-minute devotional that came on in the hospital. I'm glad for that week of devotionals that that bodybuilder in the gym stopped and listened because we begin to divulge and tell what the God of the universe and the Savior of the world is truly like. And religion, dead religion, is not doing a good job. Right now there's a crisis in Catholicism. There's a crisis in, in the church that is filled with not the word that can cause you or the priest to grow, but so much in Latin. And so many symbols and idols. And I love many of those people who are sincere. But something is desperately wrong. Just in Pennsylvania alone, the, the crisis, and that's just one state. But Mary can't save you. She had to get saved. Prayer beads can't grow you. There's no growth spiritually. There's no revelation. There's religion. Are you being critical? I'm telling you the truth. A priest can't pray you out of purgatory. There is no purgatory in Scripture. There's no in-between. When you leave the body, you go somewhere immediately. The rich man ended up in a place of torment immediately. And he's not even done. There's another judgment coming. And it's eternal. We've got to be cautioned about formal religious systems that do not save. That do not transform. That allow the enemy to do what he's notorious for doing, and that's cover up the truth that would make people free. You're being unkind. No, there's no kindness. Listen, if someone comes with the wrong doctrine and they are bidden Godspeed, if you say God bless you to that person and think you're being kind, you know what the Bible says about you and about me and about us or anyone? No exception. If you bid them Godspeed in the name of love, or kindness, you partake of their sin. You aid them and you abet them in doing and propagating that that will not save, but will give a false sense of security and damn a soul to hell. 
So accuse me of unkindness. Accuse me of being dogmatic. Accuse me of all of those things. But I have to account for your soul and everybody that hears me preach. I, not you, I have to account. And I want to stand before God and say, if anybody misses heaven, it's not because I was intimidated. It's not because I wanted the praise of men more than the praise of God. It's not because I was unloving or unkind. It's because I was a man of truth. You're not being kind when you compromise truth. You're hurting that person. Paul said, I've not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. I left nothing out for the sake of your feelings. I left nothing out for the sake of your offering. I left nothing out for the sake of your fellowship, your embrace, your applause. I told you the whole truth. If you miss heaven, it won't be because I left something out. Therefore, I am pure from the blood of all men. When I stand before Christ, no one can say they went to hell because you didn't tell them the truth. No, they went to hell because they were told the truth and they rejected it. Amen? I have to answer. That's why sometimes I preach and I don't get applause and I don't get people in agreement, and I get some people that kind of bow up on me. Honey, I've been bowed up on so many years, it don't hinder me at all. But I want you to know that I know, I know, I know when I get in a congregation, not, not only am I sensitive to the Holy Spirit, I'm sensitive to your spirit. He's the spirit of truth. He's going to bring the truth to light. And there's some people that act very godly and very all kinds of things. It just, I never take anything or anyone at face value anymore. Amen? I don't. Oh, how I love Jesus, we'll see. Can you say amen? Oh, how I love Jesus, we'll see. If a man loved me, there's a test for that. You can't just sing with sentimentality. If a man loves me, he'll keep my commandments. He won't be perfect, but he won't be a rebel. He won't be pushing back at everything I say and doing anything he pleases. If he loved me, obedience expresses that devotion to him, not Words as men-pleasers, mouthing the words, mouthing the words. And my commandments won't be grievous. Only thing it'll hurt is your flesh, and it won't sting. It's going to hurt bad. There's no easy crucifixion of this flesh. Amen? There's pain on the cross. Your flesh will experience the pain of not getting its way. Or else, you'll just keep giving in to it. But one thing's for sure, when you come to God with a need, you better bring Him more than faith. You better bring Him a heart that qualifies for an answer. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace. 
that we might obtain before grace to help is given that we might obtain mercy and grace to help. Can you say amen? So when you stand praying, he requires you to show mercy to those who hurt you, harmed you, did you wrong. When you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any. For if God, for Jesus' sake, and only for Jesus' sake, forgave you, there's nothing in you, nothing in me, other than His cross, His suffering, and His cry from the cross, Father, forgive. Amen? And He said, if you've received it, you can't refuse to give it. Oh, you can, but you can't and receive from Him. And it gets quiet in churches. There's churches full of people that heard a faith message this morning. And they're going to come in the throne of grace, bringing God such faith, built up in faith. And God is going to look past that faith into the heart. And if they're not willing to deal with what's wrong in the heart, they're not going to receive with all of that faith. Without the fruit of love in the heart, faith to remove mountains has zero effect on God. Am I, is that correct? Without love, faith to remove a mountain? How many people are in church today trying to build mountain-moving faith because they've got such mountains in their life, but you'll never see them contrite, repentant, humbled, and cleansed from grudges and jealousies and strife. The Bible said, whereas there is among you envies and jealousies and strife, he said, this wisdom is earthy, sensual, and devilish. It gives the Satan the influence. It's dominated by the flesh. But the wisdom that comes from above is first peaceable. Easy to be entreated. And pure, pure. Easy to be entreated. Isn't it great when someone has that kind of spirit? You say, can, can we work this out, Sean? And he says, absolutely. Let's, let's don't let the devil get in this. Let's, let's don't let a wedge be driven. Let's work this out with God. Hallelujah. Amen. Easy to be entreated. So, my pastoring experience, I've come across all kinds of people. If people do not grow spiritually, the Word isn't going to work in their life. They can't discern good from evil. And I'm not just talking about other people. I'm talking about in themselves. They can't see the wickedness and the evil of unforgiveness. They can't see it. They don't want to see it. Because if they see it, they'll have to deal with it. And they flat out don't want to deal with it. So altars are empty. Eyes are dry. Everybody say altars are empty. Eyes are dry. Nothing affects us anymore. I'm going to tell you something. 
One day will come in your life. One day is coming in your life. When you have to have an answer from God. And you have to qualify to get that answer from God. No wonder there's not a whole bu- This place ought to be full of people. Because I'm telling you how to get an answer. I'm not just going to give you a faith message and send you out as if that's all there is to it. There's more to it. Let's get to it. Something hinders my prayer. I, I want to get it out of the way. The Bible said we're not ignorant of his devices. <laughs> we, we, we understand unless he should gain an advantage over us. If you've forgiven, we're going to forgive without even knowing the situation. We're just going to jump in forgiveness with you. Lest Satan should what? Gain an advantage over us. He gets you and me to violate spiritual law. It's not him now we're having a problem with. It's God. You can put on the armor and defeat the devil, but... Putting on the armor doesn't keep God's law from working in your life. You're going to sow what you, you're going to reap what you sow. God is not malt. So the devil tempts you to sow the wrong seed, and then faith is not the issue. The armor is not the issue. The issue is I have sowed this bitterness, lest there be in any of you a root of bitterness springing up. That old root becomes a tree. And, and you know bitter people. You know people that are bitter. They're still bitter about something. They, to this day, there's people that left the Holy Church of God 20 years ago that are bitter. They're mad at somebody over something, usually me. And they're bitter. They won't even come to me to get rid of the bitterness. Don't even bring your gift to the altar. If you, if you know you have, if your brother has ought against you or you know you have ought, don't do it. Don't do it. He said, forget the worship service. If you don't get your heart right, none of it is relevant to me. That's Jesus' words. That's his requirements. If you know you did somebody wrong, go be reconciled before you bring a gift to my altar. If I do you wrong, I'm supposed to come and say, I'm sorry, Brother Taylor, I wronged you. Would you please forgive me? And God said, now come and worship. Now come and bring your gift of praise and adoration and service. But until you get right with Him, don't even approach me. Well, in order to get right with Him, i got to humble myself. i got to get off of my high horse. I've got to let the Holy Ghost prick my conscience And I've got to deal with God because until I get right with Him, it's not the devil anymore. We think the devil's the only enemy we have. If we just put on God's armor and defeat Him, honey, the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. Ain't nothing as wicked and deceitful as the heart that hasn't been cleansed by the blood and the Spirit and the Word of God. God knows it. 
and his word is a discerner. That's why conviction comes while preaching. And that's why somebody thinks that somebody read your mail. Holy Ghost does. He knows who's here. Oh, by the way, this message is going out. So if it isn't for you, it is going up on the web and it's going somewhere. But I got a feeling somebody is touched here today with some of this. Amen. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? God does. God does. All man sees is the outward. God looks deeper than that. And he sees the inward. And he wants to work within. His work is never from the outside in. It's always from the inside out. Say that with me. That's an important principle today. His work is never from the outside in. You remember Pentecost, how it used to be? Sleeve to here. Shirt button to there. Dress to here. Amen. Hair to here. You're holy. No, you're not. That's the out. And it never worked to the inside. Some of those people with their tongue would cut you to pieces with criticism. With hair to here. Dresses to there. I always say at least they were coordinated. They had long sleeve, long hair, long dresses, and long faces. I love the Puritans, their attitude about holiness. But every time you see their picture, it looked like they've been sucking a persimmon. They look the saddest people on the planet. We ought to be the gladdest people on the planet. We ought to have the joy of Jesus. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. When God is able to work a work in our heart, the changes come in our life. That's why the fruit comes when we allow God to work a work in our heart. And the seed of the word gets in good ground. It brings forth fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold. And we grow, we're no more children tossed to and fro. With every wind of doctrine. You're here today because of the word of God. You're not here because of the amenities. You're not here because this is going to bring you any. Oh I'm part of Venable's crowd. I hate, I, I, I hate to use the term crowd anymore. <laughs> but God's word is still God's word. I got an email from a lady in Zephyr Hills as we close. She had attended our church years ago. And she said, Pastor Venable, I have never forgot the experience I had at the Holy Church of God. She said, I can't find a church since I've been going, and I never quit going to church since I left. But I cannot find a church where I know I'm going to hear God's truth preached as it's written in the Word of God. She said, it is hard. Now, I'm taking her word for it. Does anybody here ever heard such a thing? Or is it hard to hear what the Spirit is saying? Has someone prepared a message ahead of time and where the Holy Ghost is? But when you get in somewhere where you know, my dad was afraid to come to church, afraid he wasn't clean enough, and I'd find something in him. 
And I had to convince him he was saved as he's going to get. Amen. And he didn't have no devil in him. But I'm going to tell you something. You sit in this congregation, you will be convicted. How do you know? Because I am while I'm preaching. Question is, I'm going to go home and do something about it. I'm going to make an adjustment with God's help and grace. What are you going to do? How long has it been, the song used to say, how long has it been since you talked, you talked with the Lord? I've seen shipwreck after shipwreck and a shipwreck. It's become a almost comical. Dum, da dum, 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 dum. The insurance commercial. We know a thing or two. Why? Because we've seen a thing or two. And I have seen some people that looked as spiritual as they could possibly be, but hidden in the heart. That's where the secret sin was. Hidden in the heart, there's where the pride of our spirituality was. You can be proud of your spirituality. You can be lifted up. And Paul said, it's the revelations that are dangerous to me. Lest I be lifted up above measure through my, what? Many revelations. There was given to me, in God's permissive will, allowed to come to me a spirit to buffet me. I went through trials and tests to keep me humble because if I fall into pride over the revelations, then Satan has access to me. Forty-five years of pastoring, person after person after person has tried to come on like some spiritual giant. And I mark that person. And I say, watch out. But they won't listen. Because pride is a blinding thing. Especially to one's own need. See, everybody else is clearly. People would tell me how to preach. Tell me how to pray. And I thought, you don't need me. What are you doing here under a pastor's covering? You don't need me. You got it all. You and God are like that. You don't need to be in church. You don't need to hear the Word of God. You need to go rent a building somewhere. No, they need to get humble. And they need to get right with God. Because when a man says, behold, I stand, that person, is in jeopardy. That person is in danger. Why? Because God resists the proud. But He gives grace. Everybody say grace and mercy. Here we are right back full circle. He gives grace to who? The humble. The most spiritual people I've ever met are the humblest people I've ever met. I've never met a spiritual person with pride. I've met people that talk about what God showed them that talk about what God told them. But you know what? They shipwrecked. And if God could tell them what they say that He's telling them, He would tell them how they need to humble down and get rid of that superiority attitude. Because they can't get grace and mercy with pride preceding. So watching so many people shipwreck and watching them not respond, Brother Taylor. 
we pipe to you. You haven't danced. We've mourned to you. You haven't cried. Jesus knew what was coming. Oh, Jerusalem. And he groaned and said, Oh, Jerusalem. How many times would I have taken you under my wing? There's the protective hedge of God. Like a mother hen does her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. And how did they resist him? Because I sent you the prophets. I sent you my servants. You stoned them and you killed them. You rejected the mercy that flowed and offered you the opportunity to get truly right with God. I've had 45 years of watching the phony and watching people sit in service after service trying to get a word for you, trying to get a word for you, trying to get something while the preaching and teaching of the word is going on to tell you how to straighten it. Never, ever saying, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, it's me that stands in the need of prayer. And to watch those people shipwreck is hard year after year. And in Pentecostalism, this is one of our problems. This is the fly in the ointment. People talk in tongues, get a revelation, have a gift operate. They put themselves above. They put themselves where God did not put them. It's a humbling thing to have God use you. It's not something to exalt you. It's something it should humble you that God could actually use a clay vessel like you. And I'm humbled when the anointing comes. I'm not above anybody. And I want mercy in my life. Would you bow your head? How many people in this room say, Pastor Venable, I want the Word of God. I want the cleansing of my heart. I can't survive without His grace and His mercy. I cannot survive without His grace and His mercy. I cannot survive without His grace and His mercy. My prayers must be answered. They must be answered. There's no other hope for me, no other help for me. My hope is in You, Lord. My help is in You, Lord. So I come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help. So, Lord... I show mercy. I give it away. I give it as a gift. No one merits mercy or it wouldn't be mercy. That person doesn't deserve anything from me, but I'm going to be merciful to them because I can't afford for you not to be merciful to me. And Lord, I've got boldness. Oh, friend of mine, I got mercy laid up this morning. Thank God I can come boldly, Sean. I know that I don't have a grudge against nobody. I know if someone would tell me what I did, I would say I apologize. If they would just man up. And if you're woman, woman up. Just do what the Bible said. If, you, if you've got it all against your brother, go tell everybody. 
No, go to that person. Let it be between that person and you and no further. Jesus commanded that. And if he hear you, give him the opportunity to apologize or make it right or explain it. You won your brother. No, we go tell everybody but the person. And then we go to God with a need. Who said, don't even bother coming. If you're not going to get this right. You've got that bitterness. You've got that grudge. You've given place to the devil. He's doing the dirty work in your life. And you're wondering why your prayer and your faith isn't honored. Amen. And I'm so tired of hearing God accused. You can accuse me all you want. But when I hear God accused of unfaithfulness, it breaks my heart into a thousand pieces. Because if He loved us enough to give us His only begotten Son, how will He not? It's called the logic of the cross. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? If that isn't flowing out of grace and mercy. We have a hard issue and God wants to fix it. Isn't it good news that God wants to help us to fix it? Hallelujah. Oh, by the way, He don't want to put a Band-Aid on it. He wants to do open heart surgery. Hallelujah. He wants to get in there in the inner chambers because the devil has planted some seeds in there and God wants to pull them up. Hallelujah, and plant some holy seeds in the same plowed earth. Praise God. I want revival before I go home. I want to see healings. I want to see deliverance. I want to see strong marriages. I want to see some Christians with enough of God to be a witness wherever you go and somebody to get saved because your light isn't under a bushel. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Woo! Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Will you stand your feet today and let's close in prayer. Again, I'm going to ask one more time. Pastor Venable, I want the challenge in my life. I don't want to ever be deceived. I want to pray with David, search me, O God. And see. You see where I don't see. I want you to search me and know me and show me. Because I was deceived and I went into sin. And only your mercy brought me back. I was almost consumed by it. Almost destroyed by it. But you brought me back. Hallelujah. And he was so appreciative. When a man threw dust at the king of Israel picked up stones and hurled him and cursed him with his mouth. And his captain of war said, if you want me to, just say the word and I'll cut his tongue out. And he said, let him alone. Let him throw the dust, throw the stones and curse all he wants the king. It may be, are you ready for this? That God will reward me good for his cursing this day. God will bless me in spite of his cursing. Sowing mercy. Everybody say sowing mercy. <laughs> Obtaining mercy. Glory to God. Amen. Oh, one more. One more real quick. 
They'll be back soon. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's our only service. Saul is wrong with God. Saul hurls a javelin out of jealousy at David. Saul is in a cave sleeping while hunting for David to kill him. And David is further back in that cave. And David goes out and his captain of war. You don't listen to people. Listen to God. <laughs> his captain of war says, God has delivered him into your hand. You can kill him right now. We'll follow you and take the kingdom. He said, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. Somebody whoops him. It's going to be God, not me. He was once God's anointed. And God did take care of business, by the way. He cut off a piece of his garment to let him know, I could have took your life, but I showed you mercy. And felt bad about it. He felt bad about it. He said, I'm so sorry that I did that to humiliate him, even though he would have killed me on sight out of jealousy and rage. He's wrong with God. God will deal with his own children. But when David sinned, threw himself out on God's mercy because he had sown it and sown it, God's mercy flowed to him. And God restored his soul. Hallelujah. And his kingdom. And it was, he was so honored as a king after all the sin that he had committed because of God's mercy and forgiveness that they, in honor of Jesus, because he was in the lineage of David, in his natural bloodline, amen, through, listen, they said, Son of David, have mercy on me. Hallelujah. Praise God as an honor to Jesus Christ. He died uh, uh, with this testimony. These be the last words. Of David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, this man after God's own heart. There's something about coming clean with God, humbling ourselves and getting right with God that touches his very heart and mercy flows.